Welcome to the Just Thinking Podcast with hosts Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker, bringing you cultural apologetics as well as social issues from a biblical worldview. This is the Just Thinking Podcast. Let's think. We're back. It's another edition of the Just Thinking Podcast. I am Virgil Walker. And I am... Daryl Harrison, what's going on on this President's Day, Oma? <laughs> See, you, I, I'm, I'm shocked that you went there, man. I mean, <laughs> because at times, you know, I mean, I'm thinking, man, is he going to be able to hit the high note, man? I, is his voice? Yeah, man. Back? I, I, I hit is the he, high notes because I, yeah, right at the it. top, man, I took a couple swallows of this Dasani okay. water, man. So the oh, vocal okay. cords were totally <laughs> lubricated, man, ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> in perfect condition, man. So yeah, I hit the high notes on this one, bro. I good, hit it. good. But good, you, good, but you good, know, that's man. what the, that's what the people want. That's what that's what the listeners want now, man. I know, but you all. But here's my thing. You're uh, you're not about you you you're about throwing the curveball every once in a while. So <laughs> you know, every once in a while. So fo- <laughs> folks can't get used to you know you hitting that high note every time. It might be something totally sideways. No, nah, they can't. You know they can't I mean? get too comfortable. You're right about that. They can't yeah. get too comfortable right here off the top. But see now, right. you know who knows what we'll do for the next episode. Absolutely, absolutely. They got they, If if for nothing else, not just the content, but they got to come back to see what you're going to do next. That's right. They got to come back for the intro. They just got to come back for the intro. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, see what the intro is going to sound like. Then they're good right, to go. right, right. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, man, we are we're back and uh, from from traveling, man. We just did some traveling. We we were in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. There's a smaller. What's the? I know the name of the church is is uh, Bartlett. It was first. Yeah, it was Bartlett. Of Bartlett. First Baptist in Bartlett. Yeah, yeah, right outside yeah. Memphis, right across the street from Memphis. Matter of fact, yeah, we had a great time. Just some great people. Um, the pastor that was there, uh, Warren Knapp, who got us there, and I mean, just a just an amazing, amazing time. It's pastor Sinkfield and. Uh, just had an awesome time uh, up there with the with the man the incredible people and the uh just the hospitality uh, not to mention the conference was off the chain yeah, man fantastic. i mean just off the, the the speakers that were brought in and uh getting a chance to tee up and this time unlike in in previous times when we did a live podcast this was actually an opportunity uh for us to 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 preach and so yeah uh i mean you you've had you've had i mean you've been a couple couple different spots being able to kind of unpack some of these issues in a preaching format to preaching teaching format this was my first opportunity uh at bat and so it was a great opportunity it was great to be with you at the same time for us to connect anytime we can connect it's always Mm -hmm. always good but just had a good time any thoughts about that or anything else you want to add at the top yeah, so the conference you're alluding to there, Omaha, was a conference titled The Gospel is Enough. Yeah. conference was held uh, February 7th and 8th at First Baptist Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. One of the major sponsors was the American Family Association. So, yeah, you, you're mm-hmm. absolutely right. This was one of the rare occasions. As a matter of fact, might have been the first occasion where you and I participated in the same type of event, but we weren't right. there doing a live podcast. We were right, there right. Uh, as uh, part of the uh, speaking li- speakers lineup. You know, right. you you gave your own message. Uh, uh, you spoke on the historical background of black liberation theology. Yep. And yep. then later on that same afternoon, I delivered a message that I titled the problem is enmity, not ethnicity. 
Yeah, I and, want, uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna chime in on that because while you got a chance to hear me do mine, it just I mean it was great to it was great to have you in the audience after I delivered my man and getting that big encouragement from you after it was all said and done. Uh, I had to leave early, but I did get a copy mm-hmm. that I believe your your lovely bride uh, ended up putting together and and recording and and sending. So I got a chance to watch your talk in its entirety. I took some great pictures of you, by the way. Thanks, bro. Appreciate it. Hey, Robin's always in the building. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> <laughs> took some great pictures, but man, just a great, I would, I mean, I, I just encourage folks, if you haven't had the chance to hear, I know that they, a lot of these messages will be coming out soon in a, uh, maybe YouTube format or something like that, but just a great message. And a lot of it, I, I believe it was based uh, not in its entirety, but to some extent on the blog uh, post that you, that you'd done long ago that you'd written a while back. Yeah. I wrote a blog article of the same title that the problem mm-hmm. is enmity and not ethnicity. So in the, my message at the gospel is enough conference, I basically just gave an exposition out of right. Ephesians two verses 14 through 16. Uh, but you know, Omaha, speaking of travel, uh, mm-hmm. So as you mentioned, we just we're just coming off the Memphis trip. Mm-hmm. January was G three, right? And we we could really go back to the latter part of 2019 where we had the Truth Matters conference, right? Here at Grace Church in, in L A. And then we had in January we had G three, yeah. Uh, Truth Matters in October, mm-hmm. G three in January. We had the Gospel is Enough conference here in early mm-hmm. February. Mm-hmm. And now um, in early March, we have the Shepherds Conference coming up here at Grace right. Community Church in L.A. Right. Then after, at the end of March, I'm going to be at the Ligonier Conference in uh, Orlando. Wow. Uh, and then April, I'm going to be uh, speaking at a church in Dallas, Texas. And then May, I'll be traveling back to Atlanta. June, I'll be speaking again at another local church here in L.A. Wow. All that to say, all that to say, right, I sent a tweet out about a, a week or so ago. Mm-hmm. Just trying to give our listeners a heads up that 2020, uh, from the standpoint of the Just Thinking podcast, is going to be a year whereby we're going to be really, really busy with our day jobs. Mm-hmm. We're going to be extremely busy with our day jobs, which means uh, that we won't be producing as many new episodes this year of the Just Thinking podcast that we have the previous couple years that we've been doing this. Right. And our listeners have been very gracious and understanding in that because, as I said, in that tweet that I sent. Um, we, you and I love doing the podcast. We love working together. We love interacting with our uh, listeners and, and and the prayer and the support that they give us, the encouragement that they give us. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is that the podcast doesn't pay the bills. You know, you and I receive zero compensation for this. We don't have right. sponsors. We're not aligned to any particular ministry that helps right. subsidize the cost, all the expenses related to producing this podcast, right? You know, we pay for out of our own pockets, right? Uh, so, um, uh, th- that's all that to say. That, again, we just want to reiterate to our listeners to, uh, 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 first of all, to thank them for listening to us for the, the two years that we've been doing this. But 2020 is going to be a little bit different. I, I think at best, we may be able to produce maybe one episode a month for the next six right. months or so, right? Because of the other commitments that we have, uh, from our day jobs, especially with respect to travel. Um, And as uh, folks who've been listening to us for any period of time, they know, and I don't say this in a boastful or prideful kind of way, but they know what kind of time we take from a research and study standpoint to prepare for every single episode that we do. And we just can't sit down two days before we record an episode and say, yeah, we're going to record an episode. That's not how we, that's That's not how we roll. 
you know. That's not how we roll. So, and they're going they're going to get a feel for that during this particular episode because of, you know, th- this is this topic was something that that the topic that we that we undertook this time around. I mean, this was two weeks in the making. Uh, it was a, a part of a thoughtful process on your part, kind of growing into some things. And and it's we're we're not just we don't just pluck these out of the sky. This is not kind of a random hey, you know, kind of grab bag thought process about topics, subject matter, and ideas. We're really trying to trying to think through where we want our listeners to be, to be uh, educated and equipped, uh, how we want them to understand what's happening in the culture and to make sure that that happens through a biblical lens. And in order to do that, it really requires a lot of time uh, and attention. And that's our goal. Every episode, mm-hmm. every single episode, that is our goal. What you just articulated Omaha, that is our goal. That is our objective for every episode. But I just wanted to put that out there as a reminder to our loyal listeners. We really appreciate you all, but as I'm sure you can understand, uh, we have to prioritize some certain things this year. And for the first six or seven months of this year, uh, it's going to be a little bit less from a content standpoint in the, with regard to the number of episodes that we produce. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I trust the quality of the episodes will not take a hit whatsoever. We promise you that. So absolutely, uh, absolutely. just hang in there with us for the first part of this year. And perhaps things will lighten up for us towards the latter part of 2020. And we uh, we can get more episodes out for you. Absolutely. I mean, it's a good thing, though, getting a chance to go to some of these local places that are beginning based upon having heard us on the podcast uh, are are interested in having us come and uh, and do local uh, events and specific opportunities. It's always an awesome opportunity for us to get to meet you. So that'll be the last thing I say about that. But I think it was uh, it was an important thing for us to share one the excitement that we have about uh, those opportunities to speak and to travel, which are increasing, and we're thankful for that. Uh, we're also thankful for the excitement around the Just Thinking podcast. But just by way of letting you know, we I mean, we were produ- we producing weekly. I mean, I mean, yep. weekly topics, mm-hmm. weekly shows, and uh, just based upon the nature of of the time constraints and other things that we have. Uh, again, probably like you said, probably once a month. Uh, and uh, and again, but the episodes are so robust, man. You need to go through yep. them two or three times mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's what's up. All right, my man. So now that we've got that out there, a little bit of housekeeping done. Yes. On this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast, Omaha, we're talking about racial reconciliation. Was that your POC kind of people of color no, that, kind that of actually, Hispanic R role thing? That, Is that what you got that going? Actually, that actually was how Martin Lloyd-Jones would say it. Mm. That's how the doctor would say it. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, yeah, he would. He he says the wrath of God. The wrath. Do, listen, no one, <laughs> no one says wrath. Right, like Martin Lloyd Jones. Right, 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 right. Wrath. He rolls that that W R. He rolls it like wrath. You right, know? So, right. So yeah, so that was actually my D Martin Lloyd Jones. I got you. Okay. Yeah, I just missed it. Okay. Yeah, you missed that one. Went way over your head, bro. Try to catch up. Try to catch up. I'm trying to keep up, bro. <laughs> All right, so in this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast, we're talking about racial reconciliation, and I would venture to say, Omaha, that this episode is going to have a bit of a different feel and vibe to it than some of our previous installments. Now, I say that because due to the nature of the topic, this episode is going to have a decidedly expository feel to it, as we're going to be standing in a very narrow lane, so to speak, as we look closely at what the Bible actually says about reconciliation specifically in terms of what biblical reconciliation is, and perhaps more importantly, what it is not. Okay, so 
Now, though, for the sake of our listeners, some of whom may be thinking to themselves that we've covered this ground before, and they'd be absolutely correct in thinking that. The reason you and I landed on this topic is because there's a seemingly incessant and very deliberate effort within certain pockets of the evangelical church, especially in America, to promote and in some cases inculcate into the church, particularly at the local church level, a worldly philosophy and worldview that is centered on what is commonly referred to as racial reconciliation. Now, to a great extent, Racial reconciliation has become the cause du jour within the evangelical church. Racial reconciliation is the mythological focus right now within the evangelical church. All you hear about these days is racial reconciliation. It is a message that is being propagated and promoted by individuals, churches, ministries, and organizations from various theological and ecclesiastical backgrounds and persuasions. And sadly, many churches have begun, to, have begun to buy into that message. And by churches, Omaha, okay, by churches, I'm referring specifically to local churches whose congregations are predominantly white in terms of their ethnic composition. It is white churches that are being pressured to comply with the demands being made of them under the guise of racial reconciliation, which is to say those churches must work to appease the demands of evangelical social justicians by ensuring their congregations become less white and more brown and black in terms of ethnicity. Now, interestingly, however, churches that have predominantly black congregations are never held to that standard. Never. And the question must be asked, why not? It's that kind of ecclesiastical partiality that's only one of the things that I find problematic with this current wave of racial reconciliationism that is being embraced within the evangelical church today. Not to mention the fact that the very term racial reconciliation is non sequitur on its face. And I'll have more to say about that in a moment. But as I've said many times on this podcast, as well as on my blog and on my various social media platforms, biblically speaking, There is no such thing as race in terms of how the culture defines the word. And it is my prayer that this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast will help enlighten our listeners to why it is important that the body of Christ understand that. Thoughts, Omaha? Well, first of all, I'm glad that we're addressing this issue in particular. You know, when you mentioned that you wanted to do a show on biblical reconciliation, man, I completely, completely agreed because sadly the term reconciliation has been hijacked by racialists who use the term to promote their social justice agenda. And, and the use of the term racial reconciliation as used by social justicians, it reminds me often of the movie, The Princess Bride. You remember The Princess Bride? I do remember that. Yeah, film, yeah. Yes. Where, where, where Vicini keeps using the word inconceivable. Yep. And, and, and Nigo Mantoya says, I don't think that word means what you think it means. <laughs> <laughs> right? right? When social justicians use the word racial, and then what follows is reconciliation or, or the or the word reconciliation rather has nothing whatsoever to do with reconciling anyone to anything. And and Daryl, if I remember correctly, there was a particular tweet that you posted regarding this issue that started your thoughts on this topic. You remember what that tweet was? I remember exactly what that tweet was. Matter of fact, I sent it at 416 a.m. on February 6, 2020. Mm. Got it right here. Matter of mm-hmm. fact, I'll read it verbatim. Dude. I said in that tweet reconciliation, and I had the word reconciliation in quotes, 
I said, reconciliation has become one of the most bastardized doctrines within the American evangelical church. Mm. The gospel places primary emphases on mankind's inherent estrangement from God because of our sin. In other words, the problem is enmity, not ethnicity. And then parenthetically, I mentioned Ephesians chapter two, verses 11 through 16. Right. So, yes, absolutely. I remember that tweet. Yeah, I think that was the that was the catalyst that got you get. I mean, I I remember seeing that tweet. I thought, wow, there's some there's some meat there. We need to we need to revisit that. I think we were at at the conference, or maybe it was before that. But you mentioned, I thought we got we've got to we need to think through that. And I know you you'd done some work on that. Anyway, I think this particular episode will be incredibly helpful for our listeners to think about when they hear the term reconciliation. Rather than connecting it to the word racial, our hope is that they connect it to the ultimate form of reconciliation. That is between them and the sovereign God of the universe. Mm-hmm. My second thought is this, and I'll be brief. <clears throat> with, regard to something, with regard to something that you mentioned at the end of your comments, it's something that you've, again, said repeatedly on this show with regard to race. You continue to say, biblically speaking, there is no such thing as race, and that the Bible knows <clears throat> of no such thing in the way that the culture uses that word. Uh, in fact, saying that reminded me of an episode that we did a long time ago, and maybe it was last year when there was a National Geographic article that yep. admitted that mm-hmm. the idea of race is a made-up social construct that has no bearing in science whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In fact, it was the, it was the pseudoscience of cr- craniometry uh, where they measured the size of the skull to determine one, one's race and thereby implying intelligence or lack thereof. That's what helped to foster in, in, uh, in earlier times the notion of race, and primarily with regard to that racial superiority and inferiority. Let me quote briefly from that, uh, from that article, uh, National Geographic article. It's entitled Race and Ethnicity, How They Are Different. It's by Aaron uh, Blakemore. And in the article, Blakemore states this, quote, neither race nor ethnicity is detectable in the human genome. Humans have genetic variations, some of which are associated with ancestry from different parts of the world. But those variations cannot be tracked to distinct biological categories. Genetics tests cannot be used to verify or determine race or ethnicity, end quote. So mm-hmm. once again, science has finally caught up to all that scripture consistently teaches about the issue of ethnicity. And the fact is that, that <clears throat> the fact is consistent with the point that we've made on the show, which is biblical definitions, especially with regard mm-hmm. to the issues of anthropology, they matter. <clears throat> and I could, I could even state that more succinctly. Let me say it this way. Biblical anthropology matters. Amen, bro. Amen. You know, as you alluded to in, in your comments just now, Omaha scripture is unambiguous that mm-hmm. God created ethnicities, not races. Yeah. And we know this from such texts as Acts chapter 17, verse 26, which in the NASB reads this way. And he that is God made from one man that is Adam, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. That's Acts 17, 26. Now, the word nation in that verse is the Greek noun ethnos, from which we derive the English word ethnicity. So the correct and biblical term to use is ethnicity, not race. Okay, what Christians need to understand, particularly as they seek to navigate the increasingly muddy waters that describe the narrative of racial reconciliation. What Christians need to understand is that there is no such thing as race. 
not only biblically, but biologically as well. Mm. Now, I say that in light of the fact that a fundamental flaw that is inherent to the idea of racial reconciliation, and this is exactly what you just finished saying, Omaha, a mm-hmm. fun- fundamental flaw with the idea of racial reconciliation is that it makes no distinction between social justice, what social justices refer to as race and what scientists and biologists refer to as ancestry. That's good. Hence, again, why it is vitally important that we as Christians speak on this issue in biblical terms of ethnicity, not race. OK, a case in point is a November 2016 article by science writer and author Brian Dunning. That's Brian Dunning. The article is titled, There is No Such Thing as Race, or Is There? But listen closely to the article's subtitle, okay? The title was, There is No Such Thing as Race, or Is There? The subtitle is, Genetically, Race Does Not Exist, But There Are Still Inconvenient Places for It in Science. Okay, so that's the subtitle of Dunning's article. Inconvenient Places, Dunning says. Now, I want you to keep both the title of that article and its subtitle in mind as I quote Dunning from that article. Dunning says this, quote, a fundamental difference between race and ancestry is that ancestry is a bottom up process, while race is a top down classification. Except for their immediate siblings, every person on Earth has a different ancestry and each of us has become through countless generations, increasingly diversified from everyone else. Our ancestry includes all that we are, and it is unique to us. Race, however, discounts the intricacies of ancestry and instead takes a single superficial glance at a few basic traits, then rubber stamps us with one of a very few categories. Dunning closes with this. Race is a label that dismisses a massive amount of data. So it will seem to be an idea that is not of very much use to biologists, unquote. Wow. That was Brian Dunning from his article in November 2016. There is no such thing as race or is there. Genetically, race does not exist, but there are still inconvenient places for it in science. Now, that statement I just read from Dunning is what I would call a mic drop declaration, okay, mm-hmm. from, from mm-hmm. Brian Dunning. But Dunning isn't the only one who makes that point that biological race is non-existent. In a 2012 article for Psychology Today, Dr. Augustin Fuentes wrote this, quote, There is currently one biological race in our species, Homo sapiens. There is no genetic sequence unique to blacks or whites or Asians. In fact, these categories don't reflect biological groupings at all. There are no specific racial genes. Even something thought to be so ubiquitous as skin color works only in a limited way as dark or light skin tells us only about a human's amount of ancestry relative to the equator, Mm. not anything about the specific population or part of the planet they might be descended from. There's not a single biological element unique to any of the groups we call white, black, 
Asian, Latino, etc. <coughs> Excuse me. In fact, no matter how hard people try, there has never been a successful scientific way to justify any racial classification in biology. Seriously, he says, there are no biological races in humans today, period. Wow. That was Dr. Augustin Fuentes from a 2012 article that he published in Psychology Today. Fuentes says, seriously, there are no biological races in humans today, period. Okay. But though the, the concept of race would seem to be an idea that is not of very much use to biologists, nevertheless, we must not be oblivious to the fact that race is very much an idea that is of significantly great use to sociologists. Okay. Mm. That is, in fact, that is what racial reconciliation is at its most fundamental level. It yeah. is a sociological concept born out of such man-centered philosophies as critical race theory and intersectionality, what is known as CRTI, and is being propagated and perpetuated, particularly against white Christians and predominantly white churches, under the false hermeneutic that racial reconciliation is a quote-unquote gospel issue. Now, needless to say, it is not. It is not a gospel issue. The gospel never teaches, promotes, advocates, encourages, commands, or in any way suggests that racial reconciliation, that, that reconciliation rather, is a matter of any superficial characteristic or attribute of human personhood. Okay, okay, okay. I, I've got to pause you here. That was so nice. You have got to say that twice because people need to hear everything that you just said. Because I mean, the, what's happening in the culture is we're being told that racial reconciliation is a gospel mm-hmm. issue. We've got, and again, it's 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 grounded on the basis of of a of a unbiblical anthropology, mm-hmm. right? And and a, and a, what you just stated, which is a construct that that is more apropos to sociology, mm-hmm. uh, CRTI, and and mm-hmm. and other things. And so I want you to I want you to restate what you just said because I think our listeners really need to need to grasp the magnitude of what you just stated. Yeah, so I I quoted Dr. Fuentes earlier, right? So following up Dr. Fuentes' words, which I thought were amazing, let me repeat what I said there. I said, though the concept of race would seem to be an idea that is not of very much use to biologists, Mm -hmm. nevertheless, we must not be oblivious to the fact that race is very much an idea that is of of significantly great use to sociologists, Mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. And that is, in fact, what racial reconciliation is at its most fundamental level. It is a sociological concept born out of such man-centered philosophies as critical race theory and intersectionality, what is, what is referred to in short as CRTI. Mm-hmm. It is being propagated and perpetuated, particularly against white Christians and predominantly white churches, under the false hermeneutic that racial reconciliation is a quote-unquote gospel issue. But it is not a gospel issue. Why? Well, it's not a gospel issue because the gospel never teaches, promotes, advocates, encourages, commands, or in any way even suggests that reconciliation is a matter of any superficial characteristic or attribute of human personhood. That's so good. The identity of the Christian is in Jesus Christ and in him alone. We see that in Colossians chapter three, verse three. Now, where there is discord, 
We are to seek reconciliation, but solely out of a sincere and genuine love for God and an equally sincere and genuine desire to obey his word. That Mm. should be our only motive. Okay. Now consider that in light of what the apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 18. Paul says this, he says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another and do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never listen to this. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So Paul says we are never to pay back evil for evil to anyone and that we are to strive to be at peace with all people. Paul makes no distinctions whatsoever with regard to ethnicity or any other superficial characteristic or attribute of our personhood as being a factor with regard to the aforementioned commands in Romans 12. Absolutely none. Thoughts on that, Omaha? Wow, that that was that section was was so rich. I, I want to encourage our listeners if they haven't already, get a pen uh, and some paper and begin writing down whatever you use. Maybe you use it your iPhone or I don't know how you capture quotes or or references. And be sure to do two things: one, not only the exegesis of the text of Scripture, but also go back and read those articles that have some some great things that align now with what Scripture has already indicated. However, I, I want to begin with. One of the last things that you said, you said that the identity of the Christian is in Jesus Christ and him alone. And you quoted or rather you referenced Colossians 3, 3. You said where there is discord, we are to seek reconciliation out of a sincere and genuine love for God and an equality of and an equally rather sincere and genuine desire to obey his word. You you, you further reiterated that that should be our only motive. Now, I, I love this statement on two levels. First, the the indicative that the identity of a Christian is in Jesus Christ and him alone. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that's that's the statement. Then then there's the imperative on that basis. This is what we need to do where there's discord. We're to seek reconciliation on the basis of a sincere, genuine love for God and desire to obey his word. I want to amplify the reason that the first part of what you said is is a problem for the social justician. Mm -hmm. It's a problem. The very first thing that you said where where you connected us to Christ in our identity. Well, that becomes a problem for the social justician. And, and I want to, I want to give two thoughts as to why. The first is this. When you hold a worldview that says scripture is insufficient to inform one's anthropology, everything changes. Wow. And the result right. of that, and the result of that is hyphenated Christianity. Mm-hmm. When you begin making up classes of Christians for which the Bible has provided no instruction, this mm-hmm. forces you to lean on a social cultural construct regarding who man is and what his felt needs then are. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the biblical foundation at that point for the social justician has has been adequately removed, and it, and they're now forced to recreate man not in the image of God. But rather in the image that that in rather in their own image as it suits their own sinful heart. For the hyphenated Christian, we get things like gay Christianity, mm-hmm. liberal Christianity, progressive Christianity, 
And e- even when we get hyphenated terms like social justice or even worse, the false ideas like the need to add critical race theory and intersectionality to things that, that the Bible has already spoken to, we have an absolute mess on our hands. Which leads me to the imperative that you mentioned when you when, when you talked about uh, for us, rather, when we have a biblical understanding of who we are as Christians and you use Colossians 3, 3, that now we're hidden in Christ Jesus. Right. That's that's the, <clears throat> that's the mention that that's right. the that, that's what you were referencing. We're hidden in Christ Jesus. There's no room to embrace any form of hyphenated Christianity. We need to abandon hyphenated Christianity for the hidden self-identity as a follower of Jesus Christ. This right, right thought process will allow us to embrace the imperative that you mentioned uh, when addre- and, and then the imperative that you mentioned when we're addressing discord between one another. When we're, when we're upset with one another, when there's strife between us, we need to begin thinking about the last half of what you just said, but, but be motivated to remedy the discord on the basis of love for God love for his word, and love for one another. Wow. You know what's really sad, and I think you, you, you nailed it, actually, when you, when you said that that's going to be problematic, the, or that our identity in Christ is actually problematic mm-hmm. for, some pe- for some Christians. And that's mm-hmm. really sad. That's sad to say, but that's true. That's true. That's true. That's absolutely the truth. You know, believe it or not, Omaha, all that we said to this point was just introduction. That was just <laughs> introduction. Right, right. But the reason we've taken as much time as we have to this point to lay a foundation for this topic is because if we are to engage in an intellectually honest and more importantly, a biblically honest discussion about what is so problematic and dangerous about the quote unquote racial reconciliation movement in the church, it is first and foremost necessary that we deconstruct the concept of race itself. Mm. That's where you have to start with deconstructing the unbiblical idea of race itself. And I intend to use this episode to do just that. Let's now, do it. I want to begin by quoting from the late anthropologist and author, Dr. Robert Wald Sussman. That's Robert, middle name is W-A-L-D, Sussman, S-U-S-S-M-A-N. I'm going to be quoting from Dr. Sussman's book, The Myth of Race, The Myth of Race. Dr. Sussman said this, quote, what many people do not realize is that this racial structure is not based on reality. Mm. Anthropologists have shown for many years now that there is no biological reality to to human race, race being in quotes. There are no major complex behaviors that directly correlate with what might be considered human, quote unquote, racial characteristics. There is no inherent relationship between intelligence law abidingness or economic practices and quote unquote race. Mm-hmm. Just as there is no relationship between nose size, height, blood group, or skin color and any set of complex human behaviors. However, over the past 500 years, we have been taught by an informal, mutually reinforcing consortium of intellectuals, politicians, statesmen, business and economic leaders, and their books that human racial biology is real Mm. and that certain races are biologically better than others. Mm -hmm. These teachings, Sussman continues, these teachings have led to major injustices to Jews and non-Christians during the Spanish inquisitions to blacks, native Americans and others during colonial times Mm -hmm. to African Americans during slavery and reconstruction to Jews and other Europeans during the reign of the Nazis in Germany 
and to groups from Latin America and the Middle East, among others, during modern political times. Mm-hmm. The biology, the, I'm sorry, the biologically deterministic racist worldview has been tested and disproven consistently, and yet its proponents have remained resistant to all empirical scientific evidence for more than 500 years, especially during the past 100 years, unquote. Mm-hmm. That was Dr. Robert Walt Sussman from his book, The Myth of Race. So the truth is, Omaha, there is no such thing as race. And since there is no such thing as race, how can there possibly be such a thing as racial reconciliation? Right. Well, the answer is there cannot be. Now, with all due respect to my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to stop being so ignorant and uninformed on this issue. The world defines race strictly in terms of skin color. They see a dark skinned person and they say his quote unquote race is black. Likewise, they see a person whose skin color is on the opposite end of the melanin spectrum. And they say that that person's quote unquote race is white. But there is no such thing as a black or white quote unquote race. Mm. The fact is, you can line up 10 people whose skin color reflects a similar level of melanin mm-hmm. and yet have 10 different ethnicities represented. Absolutely. Skin color is not race. There is no such thing as race. I'm going to continue to repeat that throughout this episode until people get it through their heads. <laughs> there is no such thing as biological race. So I beg you, Christians, please stop using that word. The word is ethnicity, not race. Now, speaking of things I wish Christians would stop doing when it comes to this issue (laughs) of racial reconciliation, Mm -hmm. is stop taking 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 through 19 out of context. Right. Please stop taking 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 through 19 out of context. I will explain after reading the passage. This is 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 through 19. Therefore, this is Paul speaking, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Don't miss that, folks. I'm going to repeat verse 18. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That was 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 through 19. Now, I wanted to touch on that passage because it is one that is often used by evangelical social justicians as a hermeneutic to argue that the Bible teaches racial reconciliation. They are particularly fond of verse 19, where Paul says, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. But the quote-unquote word of reconciliation 
of which Paul is speaking in 2 Corinthians 2.19 is the gospel itself. Paul is declaring that the gospel, that is the word of reconciliation, the gospel is the means by which you and I become new creations in Christ by faith and conversely are reconciled to God. How many times did Paul say in the passage we just read that, that in Christ, God is reconciling us to himself, to himself. So it is the gospel itself that is the word of reconciliation that God has committed to us, not some man-centered social justice version of reconciliation. <laughs> okay, but when you read that passage in 2 Corinthians 5 without an agenda laid over it, it becomes clear rather quickly that Paul is not speaking about our horizontal re- reconciliation with one another. He's speaking of our vertical reconciliation to God. Okay, so people need to stop taking that passage out of context and developing from it a hermeneutic that is not there solely for the purpose of pushing an agenda. Mm. Thoughts on that, Omaha? Man, a lot of thoughts. You covered a lot of ground. I actually want to go back to the quote that you gave by Dr. Robert Walt Sussman uh, in The Myth of Race. Very, very lengthy quote. And and in the second part of that uh quote, he had mentioned that the teachings, rather teachings around uh, race that have no bearing in reality, right, have led to major injustices to Jews, non-Christians during the Spanish Inquisition, to blacks, Native Americans, and others during colonial times, to African Americans during slavery and reconstruction, to Jews and other Europeans during the reign of the Nazis in Germany, and to and to groups from Latin America and the Middle East, among others. The, the, problem, the problem for the, the the evangelical social justician here in America is that their hermeneutic is so myopic, they can't go beyond the boundaries of what's happened in the United States since the 1800s. Hold up. I mean, that's as, as, ho, 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 ho. as we used to say back in the club in the day, hold up, wait a minute. Hold on. <laughs> Their hermeneutic is so myopic that it 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 can't it can't cross borders. It definitely can't cross a specific time frame, right? From the 1800s of slavery, or uh, you know, 1800s when when slavery was kind of in, in full full flame into the you know 1920s 20th century. That's about it, uh, and and that's their that's their myopic view. So they would have a difficult time even even accepting. What what Doctor Sussman is saying uh, in his book, because what what he includes in that in that quote is that there were someone other than people of color that Jews and Europeans actually suffered persecution under the reign of Nazi Germany and, and other other areas and other aspects. I mean, anything outside of of of, of kind of a black liberation theology lens, uh, where primarily blacks, and then you know, uh, and and then in uh, th- thereafter people of color are impacted that, that they're able to actually accept. So to think through the process that more than just black folk have been harmed uh, by, by persecution, uh, by oppression, uh, doesn't fit their nudic. It really throws it into, in, into, into a, you know, just, just chaos. But again, I, that's off, that's off the cuff, off topic. I agree that we need to stop using the idea of race to refer to different ethnicities, man, I've, I, that's something that, that when you and I started 
this show that you emphasize over and over and over again. And I've done my best since that time to just erase that thought process or even that word uh, from you know fr- from my my vernacular. In addition, we need to stop we need to stop using what Scripture is clearly addressing as reconciliation with God as a proof text for our own social justice agenda. Right? I mean, that's what's happening. That's what's actually yeah. happening to the text. Right. And that that has to stop. It, it, I, and I, again, I won't be I won't be long winded here as, as I want you to continue your train of thought that you're on. I do, however, think uh, that that a thorough analysis of science is helpful and that it validates what scriptures already declare. God made man in his image and likeness, Genesis one twenty seven, and that he's been given value, dignity and worth and that all that we have in man in his humanity as an image bearer of God, that is it. And it's enough. That's absolutely enough. The origins of the false unbiblical categories of mankind, they were proffered in a, in a desire to separate us from one another. And historically speaking, the sole purpose for the, for the categories was for the purpose of sinful human advantage, right? They separated us into categories for the purpose of their own sinful advantage. Today, those advocating the advance of these unbiblical categories, the social justicians who are doing so, do so with the same sinful intention. Man, listen, I'm, <laughs> usually, I'm usually the one that gets us in trouble. <laughs> what you just said. Right, right, right. We're in trouble, bro. Well, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just, I want to constantly connect the dots Man. between what has historically happened with these racialists with these folks who have who have desired to divide us on the basis of this pseudo scientific race, Amen. I want to connect them to what's happening today by modern day social justicians. When when we were in Memphis, one of the things I did was I connected Cone to the Klan, and 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 we examined what which, Cone's- which was absolutely brilliant, by the way, yeah, absolutely brilliant, that. bro. I appreciate that. I wanted to connect his words and thoughts ideological statements uh, and, and his, his, his pseudo hermeneutic. I mean, if that's even a, if that's even a word, I mean, it's just a false, I mean, it's, it's just eisegesis is basically what it is. He's reading in the scripture, his own experience. Mm-hmm. And so w- when you, I want to connect that to the same thing that the clan, that the clan did. And every single time we talk about this issue of social justice, I think it's important that we make the same kinds of connections with what, so, what modern day social justicians are doing with those advocating quote unquote racial reconciliation are doing and to, to the same thing that folks in the past were doing by trying to divide us into subgroups mm-hmm. for their own sinful advantage. The sinful advantage today is that we can, we can be the permanent victim. We can play permanent victimology. We can, mm-hmm. and, 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 and as a result, we can, we can, we can uh, leverage white guilt for our own advantage. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in the past, it was, it was for the purpose of separating these groups for the purpose of, 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 of having advantage and, and declaring that they weren't really full human beings created in the image of God. And they were some subcategory, some subgroup by which we could take it, we could take advantage of. Both are is sinful partiality, and the Bible knows nothing of these kinds of things. Yeah, I call it duct tape victimization. Come on, man! You know, bro. Why do you recommend? Why do people recommend duct tape? Because when you put duct tape on something, it never mm-hmm. comes off. It's there, <laughs> right? Okay, and that's exactly what you're talking about. This is like mm. duct tape victimization. Once they want to label you 
They want to slap that label on you like they're putting on a piece of duct tape so that right. it never comes off. That's Absolutely. what you're talking about. Permanent victimization, bro. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why I call it duct tape victimization, because once they lay it on there, it never comes off. Yeah. And, and, the, and the victimization is for the purpose of advantage. Right. It's, it's, it's for I can claim to be a victim for the purpose of my own so, social advantage. That's an mm-hmm. advantage. Mm-hmm. Who would have thought? But you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it, and again, that's why they can't afford for that label to come off. They have to keep reiterating it and regurgitating absolutely. that victimhood label. That's why I call, that's why I liken it to duct tape. That's good. It's got <laughs> it's got to stick. If it's it doesn't stick. stick if it doesn't stick, their whole worldview and their whole purpose, their whole agenda blows it up. It crumbles, absolutely, absolutely. You know, um, I mentioned earlier that this message of reconcil- racial reconciliation is being propagated and promoted by individuals, churches, ministries, and organizations from various theological and ecclesiastical backgrounds and persuasions. Well, one of those organizations, among others, that is engaged in promoting the idea of rec- racial reconciliation to churches especially is Lifeway. Mm-hmm. Yep. I called them out. Mm-hmm. Lifeway. Lifeway <laughs> you, is on the That's in trouble. That's your turn. <laughs> that's my turn. <laughs> Lifeway is one of those organizations that, that is on the front lines of promoting this whole narrative of racial reconciliation. In fact, they've developed an entire suite of materials toward that objective. Okay. An entire suite of resources. Now, among the many racial reconciliation resources being proffered by Lifeway is one that you, my brother, are very familiar with. Mm-hmm. It is a Bible study written by Trevor Atwood and edited by Daniel Darling and Trillia Newbell titled mm-hmm. The Church and the Racial Divide, Finding Unity in the Race-Transcending Gospel. I'll repeat that. This is a Bible study that, that is offered by Lifeway. It's titled The Church and the Racial Divide, Finding Unity in the Race Transcending Gospel. <clears throat> now, I received a flyer in the mail a few days ago, Omaha, from Lifeway Resources in Nashville, Tennessee, promoting that particular Bible study. On one side of that flyer were written these words, and I'm quoting verbatim from the flyer that I received in the mail from Lifeway Resources, quote, The Bible says heaven will be filled with people from every nation, tribe, and language. So why do we have so many issues with race relations on earth? Now, let me pause here and just say, with all due respect, that is a dumb question. That is a dumb question. Absolutely. The the Bible says heaven, note heaven, will be filled with people from every nation, tribe, and language. So why do we have so many issues with race relations on earth? I'm going to answer that question in just a second. Mm-hmm. But for now, that is a dumb question. The flyer went on to say this. Maybe it's time to look at it, that is, racial reconciliation, race relations, through a gospel lens. This new Bible study, created in partnership with the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, ERLC, mm-hmm. can help the body of Christ better understand the problems that divide us and discover solutions to help us reunite. Learn more online or call, and then it closes with a website toll-free number, which I will not give out on this podcast. <laughs> but what you just heard me read or, or recite was from a flyer, a little card that I got in the mail from Lifeway Resources in Nashville, Tennessee, <clears throat> promoting their new racial reconciliation Bible study 
the church and the racial divide, finding unity in the race transcending gospel. So again, on that card was asked the question, okay, why do we have so many issues with race relations on earth? Why? Now, if our listeners will indulge me for a few minutes, I'm going to explain exactly why. Okay, let's. What I want to do is here is take the verbiage that I just read, take the verbiage I just quoted, and I want to examine it more closely. Okay, the flyer from from Lifeway reads this quote: "The Bible says heaven will be filled with people from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language. So why do we have so many issues with race relations on Earth?" Unquote. Why do we have so many race uh, issues with race relations on Earth? Duh. Because we're on Earth. Hello? Earth mm-hmm. to Lifeway. Earth to Lifeway. <laughs> Read your Bible. Listen right. to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8. Romans 8, verses 18 through 21. Paul says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption in the freedom, into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That was Romans 8. Verses 18 through 21. Mm -hmm. This world in which you and I live is in slavery to corruption, Paul said. That is why we have so many issues with quote unquote race relations, life way. Any discordant issues, whatever those issues may be, that happen to exist between individuals have nothing whatsoever to do with race. Because, and I repeat myself yet again, there is no such thing as race to begin with, okay? The quote-unquote issues we have with one another, whether relational, familial, professional, or otherwise, are solely the expected fruits of our depraved sin nature, the effects of which have resulted in this world being in subjection to futility, as we just read in Romans 8.20. Mm-hmm. Since Genesis 3, when Eve and Adam, in that order, disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden and were summarily removed from the Garden by God himself. We see that in Genesis 3, verses 22 through 24. But not only that, not only is this world in subjection to futility, not only that, we also know from 1 John chapter 5, 19, that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That evil one is none other than Satan himself. Our problem is we don't believe that anymore. Right, right, right. I say that because the evangelical church, to a great degree, doesn't preach that anymore. Come on, man. Come on, come on. I mean, seriously, when was the last time you heard a sermon on Satan and the influence that he has in the world? Zero. Exactly. Yep. But scripture is clear that Satan is still at work today. In the sons of disobedience, we see that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. But listen as well to these words from the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. Mm. That's Galatians 1, verses 3 and 4. The word age there is the Greek word ion, spelled A-I-O-N. The Greek word ion, from which we get our English word eon, E-O-N. That word in the Greek denotes a perpetual period of time, which is to say that the times, the eons in which we live right now today are evil times. That is precisely why Jesus Christ could say to the Apostle John in Revelation 22, verse 11, let the one who does wrong still do wrong, Mm -hmm. and the one who is filthy still be filthy. In other words, the only solution to that reality in Revelation 22, 11, is that you must be born again. Come on, man. Come on. That's John chapter 3, verse 7. You must be born again and have your heart of stone supernaturally transformed by the power of God into a heart of flesh. Yes. As we see in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. Listen, the question being posed by LifeWay in their flyer promoting their racial reconciliation Bible study have already been answered in Scripture. Come on, man. Come on, man. We only need to read it for ourselves. You don't need a quote-unquote racial reconciliation Bible study to understand these things. Oh, good. The simple answer to those questions that LifeWay is asking is that we're all sinners, each one of us. God declared in Genesis chapter 8, verse 21, that the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. Now, the Hebrew noun youth in that verse, in Genesis 8.21, literally translates to mean from our earliest childhood. Sin is so pervasive, it is so universal, that even the cutest, most adorable infant that is born into the world enters this world with a heart that is an abyss of sin and evil and is in desperate need of regeneration by the power of the Spirit of God. Mm. Listen to what the Puritan theologian Ralph Vining. Ralph Vining is one of the lesser-known Puritans, but, but is one of those Puritans who, whom I have the utmost respect for. Ralph Vining expands on that, on that point that I just made about the congenital sinfulness of humanity in his book, The Sinfulness of Sin, which I highly recommend. Mm. Ralph Vining, last name is V as in Victor, E-N-N-I-N-G, Ralph Vining. Ralph Vining said this, in his book, The Sinfulness of Sin, quote, The defilement of sin cleaves to the soul, which is the principal subject of it, that is, the soul. The principal subject of sin is the soul. It is not only flesh, but spirit that is filthy, Bidding says, 2 Corinthians 7.1. God's image was more in and on the soul than the body of man. And sin's ambition and desire is to deprive the soul of this image. Mm. Righteousness and holiness were stamped on man's soul. But sin has blotted this image and superscription, which once told from whence it came and to whom it belonged, so that man is fallen short of the glory of being God's. It must be new created or renewed ere God will own it for his own. Because till then, his image is not legible, if in this sense it is his at all. For there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.10, unquote. 
That was Ralph Vitting from The Sinfulness of Sin. Nine times, nine times in that one quote that I just read, Vinning either directly or indirectly refers to the sinfulness of the soul and how as congenital sinners, we must re- be regenerated at the level of the soul. This is true because from the moment we are conceived in our mother's womb, every single one of us is an enemy of God. Consequently, and not surprisingly, we are enemies of one another. That is why Christ had to come into the world so that you and I would no longer be regarded as enemies, but friends, both of God and to others who belong to him by faith in Christ. That's John chapter 15, verse 15. The apostle Paul speaks to this in Ephesians chapter two, verses 13 through 16. Paul says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, having put to death the enmity. That was Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. Now, I pray our listeners didn't miss that, Omaha. Mm -hmm. Paul says in verse 15 of Ephesians 2, that in himself, that is in Christ alone, which is to say that only through the atoning death of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins can we have peace with God and consequently with one another, okay? Mm -hmm. As the 18th century biblical commentator Matthew Henry declared, quote, if God justified and reconciled us when we were, were enemies, much more will he then save us when we are justified and reconciled, that is to him, reconciled to God. The one who has done the greater, which is to change us from enemies to friends, will certainly do the lesser, which is to treat us in a kind of friendly way when we are friends, that is, friends of God. Henry closes with this. The dying Jesus laid the foundation by making atonement for sin and bringing the enmity to an end, unquote. Mm -hmm. Look, this isn't rocket science, folks. You don't need a Ph.D. in sociology or anthropology or even a D-men in theology to understand the behavioral and attitudinal dynamics that are involved here. Mm. Contrary to what many have suggested, you and I are not, quote unquote, divided by faith. We are divided by our flesh. We are not, quote unquote, compromised by color. We are compromised by corruption. The corruption of our innately sinful hearts from which are born the sinful attitudes, biases, and prejudices that produce the discord and animus that exists between human beings, regardless of ethnicity. Mm -hmm. Jesus makes that clear in Mark chapter 7, verses 17 through 23. Go and read it. I'd like our listeners, Omaha, to consider the comment I just made in light of the following words from Charles Spurgeon. These words are from a sermon he preached on March 7th, 1886, titled, 
our Lord's prayer for his people's sanctification. Our Lord's prayer for his people's sanctification. In that message, Spurgeon said this, quote, Why are we not one? Sin is the great dividing element. The perfectly holy would be perfectly united. The more saintly men are, the more they love their Lord and one another. And thus they come into closer union with each other. Our errors and our sins are roots of bitterness which spring up and trouble us, and many are defiled. Our infirmities of judgment are aggravated by our imperfections of character and are walking at a distance from our God. I love that. That's good. Spurgeon says we walk at a distance from our God. He closes with this. And these breed coldness and lukewarmness out of which grow disunion and division, sex, that's S-E-C-T-S, and heresies, unquote. That was Charles Spurgeon from his sermon, Our Lord's Prayer for His People's Sanctification. Charles Spurgeon understood what many in the church today either do not, cannot, or will not understand. Mm -hmm. And that is, to quote Spurgeon again, that sin is the great dividing element. Mm -hmm. Thoughts, Omaha? Man, a lot of great stuff in that section that you covered. And, and really it kind of all began with, uh, with what you received. I, I don't I remember if you got it in the mail. Was it a flyer you said from Lifeway? Yeah, it was a flyer I got in the mail from Lifeway. Yes. Yeah. And so that like you, I saw that material when it came out because I provide uh, the, the educational theological education and, and discipleship for uh, our church locally. And we use Lifeway as a Southern Baptist church. And so as soon as that stuff comes out, as soon as new stuff gets promoted, uh, it gets sent to me. I get to kind of see what's what's upcoming and, and their hope by doing so is that we would order you know some of it. So I, I saw that in particular, and and uh, I just was floored. Before before I get to my commentary on on Lifeways resources, I just want to say, man, again, what you just walked through, rather than whatever you would purchase, uh, or, or or if you would purchase uh, the the church and the racial divide, finding unity in the race transcending gospel. That's the title of what was of what's being offered by Lifeway. I would tell you that in in in, in instead of doing that. To simply walk through the last about 10, 12, 15 minutes of what you just heard Daryl unpack because it, it was, it was biblical exegesis. It was, it was, it, it looked at all, all aspects of different ideas from Puritans, uh, to, to, to great theologians like Spurgeon and really walked you through a clear understanding, a biblical understanding of what quote unquote racial reconciliation, and it really exposes the falsehood of quote unquote racial, uh, racial reconciliation and points you to biblical reconciliation that God intends from the beginning. So I just want to state that up at the top uh, before I mention the comments around uh, the Lifeway material. I received it. I actually ordered it and uh, because I wanted to, I wanted to walk through and see what it actually was. And in my estimation, again, my, my humble estimation, it's a Trojan horse. Um, it's, it, mm. it's a tro it's a Trojan horse for the purpose of, 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 wow. of getting into the church with with somewhat of a of a kind of a gospelized idea around reconciliation, and then the idea that we need to understand history uh, in order to 
properly analyze our current situation in a particular church. So what it does, it points you back historically to what happened in America. Uh, and then you get upset about all the kinds of racial tension. The fact that even the, the, the Southern Baptist uh, Convention was actually you know, born uh, in uh, based upon the issue of slavery. We've covered all of this ground in our episodes in the past. When we talked about this issue, we've unpacked it. We've looked at it in a number of different ways. One of the things that we do uh, that I'm very, very proud of uh, is that we don't flinch from the historic past. Hmm. Uh, Daryl and I do not, we, we, we look, we look, you know, full faced into what took place in the past. And, and, and yet we don't allow that experience to inform our judgments for how we read scripture. Amen. Scripture is is what interprets scripture, not our experience interpreting me, scripture. And so that I, I want to say that at the top. Anyway, I, I remember when this Lifeway material came out uh, again as somebody who provides theological education at my church. I follow what Lifeway sends and this new offering. My first thought was, oh, no, here we go again. <laughs> yep, that was that was my first thought. It really was. My second thought was I need to get this material and see what's being said. Uh, not because I thought they would offer some great idea that scripture hadn't covered, but because I knew that there was an agenda being put forth when I went, when I witnessed the ERC, ERLC's involvement uh, alongside men like Walter Strickland. For those who don't know Dr. Walter Strickland, he's assistant professor of systematic and contextual theology at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Now, in addition to that role, he also serves as the associate vice president for diversity. Now, a, a title for which, I, well, I'm, I'm not going to go into that, right? <laughs> I'll, well, I'll, sim- yeah. I'll, simply <laughs> I'll simply say that we have a tendency to applaud diversity as a virtue when it's actually a byproduct that we should, that, that we, it should be a byproduct rather of what we should be celebrating, which is truth, right? Diver- diversity. Whoa, 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 are you are you really you trying to you trying to discount diversity diversity abs- absolutely I'm discounting diversity as a virtue absolutely unequivocally let me be clear diversity <laughs> is <laughs> I'm sorry man I thought, yeah 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 first, I thought I thought man I thought you were swinging the other way on the woke you thought, you, there bro no no bro no oh, okay. not, I, oh, not this not this cat man. <laughs> No way, shape, or form. And this is insane. Associate Vice President for Diversity. I, again, I'm not, I'm not going to touch that. That's a, that's a different conversation for a different day. And that's not even – my purpose is not to try to unpack anything about Dr. Walter Strickland in any way, shape, or form. But it is to say that, that we have a tendency to applaud diversity as a virtue when diversity is a byproduct. And it is a byproduct of what should be celebrated, and that is truth. Diversity mm-hmm. on the basis of ethnicity – should never be our goal. Let me say that again. Diversity on the basis of ethnicity should never be our goal. Truth is the goal. Mm -hmm. Truth is the virtue. And to the extent that diverse groups of people embrace that truth, that's what should be celebrated. Amen, bro. Wow. Anyway, anyway, I, I digress. My reason for bringing up Strickland is, is that he did his doctoral dissertation on liberation and black theological method, a historical analysis. And again, all of this is, is, is according to CV. It's a historical analysis of black liberation theological methodology, mm-hmm. which is why I say this is a Trojan horse. Yeah. 
This is a Trojan yeah. horse, right? Yeah. So I, this, I, this being this being the Lifeway Bible study. Absolutely. This is yeah. a Trojan horse to insert. So you go, oh, this is kind of cool. And then they send you the next packet and the next packet and the next packet. And before you recognize it, you're involved in someone who has who has has uh, has has done their dissertation, their doctoral dissertation on black theological methodology. And, I, and I'm going to share something with you about that that will help you understand exactly what that is. Now, I was I was certain that based upon the fact that the embrace of critical race theory and intersectionality that's happening in the SBC through things like Resolution 9, I was certain because of those things that this Lifeway material was an effort to get the church up to speed on what's coming. Does that make sense? Yep, makes perfect so, sense. Man. So materials like these place the churches in a no win situation. If mm-hmm. you purchase the material for your church, or rather if you don't purchase the material for your church, you're seen as not in step or out of touch, or even furthermore, you're seen as racist. Mm-hmm. So so you're at least exp- you're at least at least those social justicians who are advocating this kind of curriculum are believing, if you don't purchase it, that you're then expressing some form of white fragility. And that you're not being you're not comfortable enough being told about how racist you are or have been historically speaking in a contemporary context. Mm-hmm. Now, these anti-biblical categories of oppressed versus oppressor, they create permanent victim classes in which no one wins. Now, mm-hmm. the goal of the so-called racial reconciliation teaching materials is to make whites feel a sense of permanent guilt for a st- for a historic past. And for POCs, people of color, to maintain their status as permanent victims, all the while they'll be ignoring their sociocultural norms as and, and responsibilities. So whites are made to feel guilty, mm-hmm. blacks are made to feel victim, made to feel to, uh, as if they're victims, while they ignore any sociocultural norms that require responsibility. Neither side wins. And as you've stated many times on, on our show and in other places, man, there is no reconciliation in racial reconciliation. There's none. Yeah. There's, no, there's nothing salvific in this material. You're all racists who need more guilt-wrenching reminding uh, so that you can understand that scripture doesn't mean what it says in Romans 8.1. Romans 8.1 says that there is therefore now no condemnation for mm. those who are in Christ Jesus, if you're getting this material, what it is telling you is that you need to absolutely rip that verse out of your out of the text oh, of Scripture yeah. and completely ignore it. Wow. Yeah. If, if you think I've gone too far, I want you to listen briefly to the words of James Cone. Again, I mentioned Strickland, his doctoral dissertation, Black Liberation Theology, the father of which is a, a man by the name of, of Dr. James Cone. He wrote in his book, Black Theology and Black Power, he wrote this, quote, for white people, God's reconciliation in Jesus Christ means that God made black people a beautiful people. And if they, white people, are going to be in relationship with God, they must enter by means of their black brothers who are a manifestation of God's presence on earth. The assumption that one can, can know God without knowing blackness is the basic heresy of the white churches. They want God without blackness, Christ without obedience, and love without death. What they fail to realize is that in America, God's revelation on earth has always been black, red, or some other shocking shade, but never white, end quote. I'll I'll finish up with this final statement. If we examine LifeWay's material, 
through this kind of Conian lens that I'd have to say that LifeWay's material is a Conian effort to help white churches overcome the heresy through the preaching of the gospel of racial reconciliation. In, in the gospel of racial reconciliation, as expressed in this material, we'd have to admit that racial reconciliationists believe this, that, quote, reconciliation to Christ is insufficient as white evangelicals must also be reconciled according to color. Well, 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 there you go. <laughs> I, I think I, I think we might need some Hammond B3 up in here after that one. That's, That's very crazy. Well, very, very number one. Well said and well laid out. Mm. Well laid out, Omaha. Yeah, yeah. Did, did I, you want to add just, something? Yeah, go ahead. I, I just went. I just went through that and just thought, man, this is this is a Trojan horse. This is a Trojan horse. And uh, and and again, I, the the last thing I said, I, the last thing I thought was racial reconciliation is also believed that reconciliation unto righteousness is insufficient, as white evangelicals must also be reconciled on the basis of race. So reconciled unto righteousness, no, you need to be reconciled on the basis basis of race. Reconciliation to Christ, no, you need to be reconciled according to color. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's the that's the belief. That is that that permeates this ideological, this pseudo theological thought process. It, it's really it's really fraudulent. It's really. And again, I, this is a Trojan horse because you're not going to see Cone quoted to any degree that I just quoted him in this format. But the person who's providing a lot of the teaching in the materials that you're going to listen to uh, that that he has he has openly expressed his admiration for Dr. James Cone. You know, and as we all know, Omaha, right? You can't spell reconciliation without C O N E. No, <laughs> man, I love the stuff you come up with, bro. This is <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Though, if 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 anyone, for instance, if we have new listeners to the Just Thinking podcast, if you want to hear us sort of expound on the theology of James Cone, the black liberation theology of James Cone, go back and listen to our episode titled whiteness. Oh, that was such a good episode, man. Listen to that episode titled whiteness, where we use Cone's own words to define blackness and whiteness. Mm -hmm. So if you want to get some clarification on what those terms really mean, Mm -hmm. listen to our episode on whiteness. I'll add this, man. We also, if you remember, when we did the Truth Matters conference, uh, the live yes. recording from Truth right. Matters, uh, man, you, you and I both. Part one. Yeah, I woke worship part one and two. I mean, we yeah. we 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 uh, we really cover those. I think those are, those are the. I mean, by far, I'd say I'd say whiteness is probably the best kind of unpacking of that. And then and then I'd go to. Uh, to the uh, to, to the second one that we did, or the one that we did at uh, at Truth Matters uh, on on Black Liberation Theology, and yeah. uh, and then woke woke Church one and two. So, you know, Omaha, I mentioned earlier that the racial reconciliation Bible study Lifeway is offering is titled "The Church and the Racial Divide." The Church and the Racial Divide. Mm-hmm. But Lifeway would have done better to title it something else. Because the truth is, there is no "quote unquote" racial divide in the mm. church. Mm. Now, they may very well want you to think there is a racial divide because it will sell more Bible studies, right? But contrary to what evangelical racial reconciliationists would have you believe, evangelicals are not lining up to take sides against each other on the basis of skin color. 
They are not deliberately or premeditatedly segregating themselves from one another in local churches based on a common shade of melanin or shared cultural experiences. That, my friend, is what an actual quote unquote racial divide will look like if that were the case. Absolutely. But even if that were the case, it is still a spiritual problem, not a sociological or anthropological one. That's good. That's good. What we as Christians have to understand is that underlying a lot of these racial reconciliation messages is a larger socio-political agenda that is grounded in critical race theory and intersectionality, or what again is commonly referred to as CRTI. Mm-hmm. Now, in saying that, I want to make something clear. I want to make it clear that I'm not in any way inferring, implying, or insinuating that Lifeway or the ERLC or any other so-called Christian entity or organization is deliberately pushing that agenda. I'm not saying that at all. Mm-hmm. But consider again that when you objectively, when you objectively scan the evangelical racial reconciliation landscape, what you'll find is that the vast majority of the messages that are intrinsic with this whole idea of racial reconciliation are targeted almost exclusively to one particular ethnic demographic within within the evangelical church in America right. as comprising those on whom the onus of reconciliation must rest. And that demographic is white conservative evangelicals. Absolutely. That is the target group for this racial, racial reconciliation messaging. Now, that reality in my mind, Omaha, brings to mind uh, an aspect of this issue that no one is talking about. There's an aspect of this issue that no one is talking about whenever the subject of racial reconciliation is raised. Mm-hmm. That is that there are many professing Christians who are deeply engaged in promoting and advocating this racial reconciliation agenda who themselves are guilty of the very sins that they are accusing others of. Come on, who are using this issue to mask the sinful and tribalistic partiality that is present in their own hearts toward other image bearers of God who are of a different ethnicity than they. Yes. That's not being talked about here. But that kind of pharisaical hypocrisy (laughs) reminds me of something John Calvin said. Mm -hmm. Calvin said this, quote, where incontinence or lack of self-examination prevails, Mm Man loses the specific knowledge of good and evil through his unruly appetites Wow! because he cannot see in his own sin the evil which he commonly condemns in others. Wow. Unquote. Wow. Let me repeat that. Yeah. Calvin said where incontinence, continence meaning lack of self-examination, where incontinence prevails, man loses the specific knowledge of good and evil through his unruly appetites because he cannot see in his own sin the evil which he commonly condemns in others. And that's wow. exactly what I'm seeing Absolutely. in these pharisaical racial rec- reconciliationists mm-hmm. who are hiding behind this issue and doing so in order to mask their own sinful partiality that they're harboring towards others who don't look like them. Yeah, absolutely. Thoughts on Man, I th- again, that last statement is worth its weight. I mean, it, it just, that's the truth. I think, I think you summed it up just kind of a pharisaical, um, you know, 
critical analysis. I mean, it, it, this is Matthew 7, right? Exactly right. Exactly. This, is, this is Matthew 7, judge not lest be judged. And, and people often misuse that text of scripture to say that we aren't to judge. But what's being talked about there is hypocritical judgment. Exactly. It's, it's saying take the log out of your own eye, not so that you're not not so that you don't judge, but so that you can see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Judgment is still taking place. It's just taking place on the basis of the fact that you recognize how big a sinner you indeed are. It, it doesn't mitigate the sin. It says, yes, sin is still sin. But, man, it's, it's happening in my own life. And that was the instructions of the Pharisees who never yes. did, who never had that kind of self-reflection. Who, who never looked at their own lives and saw that they were the ones who were making who who, who, were, who were making people you know bigger sinners than they were mm-hmm. as a result of what they held the, the standard that they held of others that they didn't hold of themselves. Anyway, I, I I'm just uh, just kind of rambling there. Let me let me stick to what I what I have kind of penned in some notes. We've reiterated this thought in the past few weeks, man, as we've traveled. The idea that the issue is a one sided discussion aimed at majority culture. I mean, we've been talking about that. You and I have talked about that on our show. We've talked about yep. that in different places where where we've where we've uh, where we've traveled to speak. The idea that this issue uh, only affects one group of people is is again, it's the sin of partiality. Most most assess causality, right, in order to justify their sin, right. Most of us assess right. causality in order to justify the sin. Adam did this in the garden. You know, when he was asked, why did you eat from the tree? Well, what did he say? Well, it was the woman that you gave me. Mm-hmm. Now, he did this in order to use, use the cause or woman as the rationale for justifying sin. Mm-hmm. Evangelical racial reconciliationists do the exact same thing. They never address the sin. If indeed a monoethnic church is sinful, right? Mm-hmm. If, if, that's, yeah. if that's the root sin, they never address the black church. Uh, in their push for racial reconciliation or multi-ethnic churches. And, and, and what is their rationale? It's the same excuse that Adam gave. They, he, they are pointing to those white uh-huh. churches. They're going to say, uh-huh. oh, it, it's those white churches who are uh-huh. really the problem, right? Uh-huh. They're justifying their sin on the basis of uh-huh. causality. Oh, and, man, the, awesome. and, and again, this is a sin of partiality. It's indeed sinful, uh-huh. and, and, and they need to repent. Brother, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more with you, man. You know, I hey, I guess you know we might as well keep rolling because we're in big enough trouble already. With this episode, <laughs> so we might as well keep going. <clears throat> you know, Omaha within the worldview that is critical race theory intersectionality (CRTI), white people are the only sinners. Mm, that's <laughs> yes, yes, yes. White that's people ever, are the only yeah, sinners. Absolutely. And what exactly is the sin that they're guilty of? Right. Being white. Yep. That's what. Being white. Yep. That's the sin that they're guilty. In CRTI, white people are the only sinners, and the the sin that they've committed, sin that they're guilty of, is being white. But sadly, that same philosophy is beginning to bleed its way into the church like watercolors onto a blank canvas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For example, right now, as you and I speak, members of the largest Protestant denomination in the United States, the Southern Baptist Convention, Mm -hmm. which boasts of having upwards of 15 million members, are fighting amongst themselves over the passage in 2019 of what's called Resolution 9. Mm-hmm. Resolution 9 essentially lauds the benefits and merits of CRTI as a quote-unquote analytical tool. So when you hear an individual, a church, or a so-called quote-unquote Christian organization, seminary, or other such quote-unquote ministry pushing racial reconciliation down your throat mm-hmm. as a quote-unquote gospel issue, Never think 
that it is actually about genuine biblical reconciliation. What you need to consider is that it may very well be motivated by what I call reconciliation with an asterisk, with that asterisk being CRTI. Mm. I mean, think about it for a moment, Omaha. If there's a if there's discord between you and your wife, there is or should be empirical evidence that will lead you to definitively conclude that such is either the case or not. Empirical right. evidence. Right, right. You don't just walk around your home making unfounded assertions that you and your wife need to reconcile when there's no objective or empirical evidence to support such an assertion. If you and your wife are at odds with each other for some reason, either you or she should be able to point to a specific event or point in time that would objectively establish that reality as being true or not. Mm -hmm. But what has happened over the past few years within the evangelical church is the exact opposite of that. Within the racial reconciliation movement, people, that is white people, are being accused of being guilty of sins they have never committed. Mm. Consequently, they're being told they need to reconcile with people they don't even know and with whom there exists no evidence of discord or animosity between them. Now, will somebody please tell me, how does that make any sense whatsoever? Mm. So, you know, when you think about it in hindsight, Omaha, the initial springboard of all this talk about racial reconciliation was social justice. That's how it began. Right, right, right. But that led to conversations about slavery reparations, which led to people pushing for multi-ethnic congregations. But now it's expanded to where full-blown liberation theology, critical race theory, and intersectionality are being introduced and even embraced within certain elements of the American evangelical church under the ideological Trojan horse of racial reconciliation. That's what you referred to earlier. It is a Trojan horse. Right, right. Racial reconciliation is a Trojan horse. And the building material that is being used to construct that ideological Trojan horse is white guilt. Yes, it is. White guilt is the building material that racial reconciliationists are using to construct their ideological Trojan horse. It's, it, that comes from something the, that you, uh, uh, something from that, that James Cone, who you alluded to earlier, said in his book "Black Theology and Black Power." That Trojan horse, that 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 Trojan horse building material is white guilt. Listen to what James Cone said. In his book, Black Theology and Black Power, Cohn said this, quote, black racism is a myth created by whites to ease their guilt feelings. Mm. That's white guilt. As long as whites can be assured that blacks are racist, Cohn said, they can find reasons to justify their own oppression of black people, mm -hmm. unquote. Mm -hmm. That was James Cohn from his book, Black Theology and Black Power. Black racism is a myth created by whites to ease their guilt feel feelings. Now, that statement from James Cone, Omaha, is what gives life to the racial reconciliation movement to a large extent. Yep. In fact, that statement by Cone is precisely why many black people today feel free to judge all white people as being collectively guilty for sins such as slavery. Right, right. Though the historical reality is that there would have been no slavery in America were it not for the volitional. Don't say it. Don't say, say it. it. Don't say Bro. it. Don't say it. 
We're already in trouble, bro. I might as well go ahead and drink the whole glass. The historical reality is that there would have been no slavery in America were it not for the volitional and deliberate participation of black Africans who themselves purposely engaged in and profited from the same transatlantic slave trade that resulted in their own people being sold into slavery in the first place. Amen. But I digress. Right. What you got, Omaha? Man, oh man. We, I mean, look, this, this, this one, the length of this episode is a, it's a double. So I guess we might as well go ahead and get in trouble, right? This is a double. Might as well, bro. Might so as we well, might listen, as well get listen, in trouble. Hey, listen, <laughs> we might as well, because thank God, like I said at the top of this episode, right? We're not connected to any ministry. We don't get any no. funding. No, that's true. That's anybody, right. So we can say whatever we want. That's Oh, that's right. Yeah, thanks for the reminder. That's a good reminder. Do your thing, bro. <laughs> Well, but, that's prob- I, I, that, but that's probably why we're not associated with any right. <laughs> <laughs> because right. we say we say it as it is. Absolutely, we Absolutely. tell it as it is. Yep, yep. Well, I, I agree. You you mentioned the Trojan horse being white guilt. White guilt makes possible all that is allowed to happen in the arena of social justice. I mean, I, we mentioned at the top that conference uh, at, at Memphis, uh, Tennessee that that uh, that we went to the gospel. Is enough, and and I had the opportunity to to talk about this to some extent when I covered the historical background of of uh, the historic the historic background of uh, Black liberation theology. Mm-hmm. In that man, I'm gonna I actually pulled this this quote from from uh, from the sermon that I delivered uh, during that time, and here's here's what I said. I said, "Social justice today, in the form of CRTI, much like its predecessor, Black liberation theology, obtains its fuel." From the crescendo wow. of white guilt that oh, has been man. heaped on by previous generations, the constant narrative that whites today are somehow guilty for the sins of their forefathers, many of whom you never knew and some of whom may never been involved in slavery, has had a toll and has made its mark. Add to this that the same people decrying America as a racist country have have actually benefited from this same America who has always. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> no, they, no, they have it. Yes, they have, man. I mean, come on. Cone, I mean, all of these guys who are out there speaking and the platforms that they were placed on, the places that they spoke at, the, the not only the seminaries, but the colleges, the campuses, all of these, they would, they would argue is predominant white culture. They had a platform built upon the back of white guilt. Bottom line. Yep. I mean, if, if that weren't the case, they'd have no place to speak. I finally said, add to this, that these same people decrying America as a racist country have actually benefited from this same America who has always, on some level, been sensitive to the cause of the less fortunate. Oh, what, my gosh. Absolutely. Said, what, right? That's, I mean, look, I, 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 would, I would have anyone try to argue to the contrary. Anyone try to argue to the contrary. White guilt and a benevolent America has been the fuel that has allowed evangelical racial reconciliationists to thrive. Man, give me some Hammond. Give me some Hammond in the background. That's it. That's it, right? Yeah, yeah. We've got to keep Romans 8, chapter 1 in mind here. There is now, therefore, no condemnation 
for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Right? Wait, wait, wait. Does your does your Romans eight one have an asterisk? It has no asterisks. Wait, no asterisks, bro? No asterisks. In fact, you know what? I, I thought about what the No woke, fine print? No fine print. I thought about what how the woke Bible might read that. It may be totally different in a in a, in a woke Bible, but it in <laughs> in in my in my elect standard version, it 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 definitely reads rightly, man. I'm thankful for that. So Wow, thankful for that input, Omaha. That was nice, man. Absolutely. You know, by definition, okay, by definition, biblical reconciliation suggests the coming together of hearts and minds that have been regenerated and renewed by the power of God's Holy Spirit, motivated by an ever-present sensitivity to and appreciation for what Christ has done to reconcile us to God. Now, we know this from one of my favorite verses, Romans 5, 8. I have this verse on my Twitter bio. Mm -hmm. Paul writes this in Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Mm. Christ died for us. So our motivation to reconcile should be rooted in the conciliatory work of Christ on our behalf. And it is on that note that I want to quote again from Charles Spurgeon, who in a sermon he preached titled Herein is Love, put it this way, quote, Our love ought to follow the love of God in one point, namely, in always seeking to produce reconciliation. It was to this end that God sent his son. Has anybody offended you? Seek reconciliation. Oh, but I am the offended party. So was God. And he went straight away and sought reconciliation. Brother, do the same. Oh, but I've been insulted. Just so. So was God. All the wrong was towards him, yet he sent his son to die for you. Oh, but the party is so unworthy. So are you. And yet God loved you and sent his son for you. Unquote. That was Charles Spurgeon from his sermon entitled Herein is Love. Similarly, you know, along those same lines of thought as Spurgeon, the late Welsh preacher and theologian D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, quote, The first thing we all need in this life and in this world is forgiveness. We need to be cleansed from our sin and from the guilt of our sin. We need to be washed. We need to be sprinkled clean from all our filthiness and all our idols. And the gospel offers to do that through Jesus Christ and him crucified, unquote. That was from D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. You know, I'll say this one last thing, Omaha, then I'll turn it over to you to share. Any final thoughts that you might have as we prepare to close out? Mm -hmm. As far as I'm concerned, the entire racial reconciliation movement is a demonic and diabolical scam. (laughs) Yeah, I said it. I didn't stutter. I didn't hesitate. And I'll say it again. The entire racial reconciliation movement is a demonic and diabolical scam. It involves professing Christians of various ethnicities who are in the business of propagating the mirage that there is ethnic division within the body of Christ when in reality there is none. Wow. I've never had a white person refer to me as a coon, a sellout, an Uncle Tom, or a house Negro. Mm -hmm. Never, never by a white person. But I've been called all those names more than once by people who look like me. 
Now, where are the cries for racial reconciliation in those situations? That's good. That's a great point. That's a great point. Where are the cries for racial reconciliation in those, in those situations? Mm-hmm. Or does racial reconciliation only go one way? But mm. alas, I repeat myself. Man, th- this has been an incredible episode, an awesome time of walking through expositionally with Scripture uh, and, and, and just kind of showing you that this idea of racial reconciliation is flawed. It's, it's, I, I mean, I, I'll just repeat what my brother said. He says it's a movement. The movement is a demonic and diabolical scam. And I, I completely agree. We need scripture. Uh, we don't need someone's ideas that are, that are antithetical to scripture. We don't need some, you know, some uh, measurement tool. We don't, that, that's actually a, a, a worldview that again is antithetical to the biblical worldview. We need the Bible. Jesus is enough. The gospel is enough. The gospel is sufficient. It is sufficient. Yeah. It has reconciled us. We are reconciled in Christ. We are hidden in him as, as, as Colossians 3, 3 states. We need to focus on on that and not all of this extracurricular. Man, I'm thankful for the time that we spent. This is an incredibly uh, long episode, but uh, but those who listen to us regularly will benefit because it again, it may be some time before we're able to record another one, but stay with us, stay connected, stay tuned. We're always excited to connect with you and until we connect once again on the Just Thinking Podcast. Join us next time. The Just Thinking Podcast, hosted by Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker, is a Christ-centered, gospel-focused, and theologically challenging program that boldly and unapologetically addresses social, political, and cultural issues from a biblical worldview. With an international listenership that stretches from the United States and Canada to Romania, Nicaragua, and Mongolia, the Just Thinking Podcast breaks through all ethnic, geographic, social, and cultural barriers to bring the objective truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the issues confronting His church and His people. Subscribe to the Just Thinking Podcast using the podcast app on your Apple or Android smart device, or you can listen online at thebarpodcast.com slash JT.